Orange County was able to come out victorious after a goal explosion. Six goals against Tulsa in Irvine at Championship Soccer Stadium. So that leaves me just one question to ask. Can we face Tulsa each and every week? This is the Orange and Black Soccer Cast. As we are underway from the Champion Soccer Stadium. First time into the box. It's a great ball and it bolts in. Oh, it's a world-class goal from Orange County. Chablo, Chablo will have a go off the deflection and it finds its way in. Selmo shooting from the corner. He put it in. And there will be no second opportunity as Andre Rawls shuts it down. This ball finds the top left corner. And Orange County has struck again. Past Hashimoto, Segbert shooting, scoring! Escalante sits on it, and Rawls somehow was ready. And I fight. And I fight over the top. And it down, it's in! Orange County equalizes! What a debut! Not only for the stadium, but for Sola Abalaji. Are you ready, Orange County? This is the Orange and Black Soccer Cast, the only podcast dedicated to Orange County Soccer Club, its fans, and supporters. Follow us on Twitter at OCSC underscore SoccerCast and on Facebook at Orange and Black Soccer Cast. How's it going, Orange County? Welcome to another episode of the Orange and Black Soccer Cast, the first and only podcast dedicated to Orange County Soccer Club, its fans and supporters. I'm your host, Ray Samora, and I'm with you each and every episode as we talk all things Orange County Soccer Club. And joining me this episode, as he does each and every week, we have Dylan from County Line Coalition. Dylan, how's everything going today? It's great, Ray. Thank you. And uh, how is uh, how are you guys feeling, or how is how are you feeling after that match uh, this past Saturday against Tulsa? I'm feeling great. It was a good time. A bit of a party towards the end. Definitely, definitely could uh, feel that excitement, especially towards the end of the match. So uh, thank you again for joining us, as you do every week, Dylan. Uh, also joining us this week, we have a guest. We have actually a couple of guests joining us. The first guest I'm going to introduce, he is joining us from the Rising is One podcast, which is a Phoenix Rising FC podcast that's part of the Beautiful Game Network, and that's Dominic. Dominic, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. It's uh, really exciting to have another match with you guys this Friday these matches are always testy affairs. We've had a lot of draws lately, so hopefully that streak gets broken one way or another. And uh, I can tell you it is a nice, breezy 102 right now, and that's about what it's going to be at kickoff on Friday. Maybe maybe it'll just stay in double digits. All right, so that's just that just sounds exciting for um, the people traveling out from Orange County if they're going to have to deal with that wonderful, beautiful uh, weather you guys have out there in Phoenix. Well, thank you again for joining us uh, today, Dominic. Uh, before we get started, one last person I want to introduce, and that's going to be uh, joining us is Corey. Corey, how's everything going for you today? It's excellent. Uh, thanks so much for having me. Um, congratulations on the win. Uh, I-, I was on the broadcast, and uh, definitely a lot of fireworks. Definitely. And, and I was going to try and, you know, play the trick on the listeners. I wanted them to sort of listen on with you, Corey, and with the rest of us and see how long it took them to realize they recognize your voice, especially those ones that listened to the match on ESPN Plus this past weekend. So thank you again, uh, Corey, Dominic, for taking time out of your uh, your day to uh, speak with us here on the podcast. Absolutely. So, um, so before we go and get started, actually, what I want to go ahead and do is take care of our uh, business end of things. And I just want to remind everyone that the Orange and Black Soccer Cast is part of the Beautiful Game Network. 
uh, BGN.FM. Uh, it's our partners. We got to Rising as One, as, along with uh, many other uh, soccer-related podcasts. A lot of them are USL-based. So you can find us on the Beautiful Game Network. Again, that's BGN.FM. You can also follow the Twitter account for Beautiful Game Network, and that's the BGNFM. Uh, so make sure you follow that. Check some of these other podcasts out. Again, like the Rising uh, as One podcast. Uh, if you want to get a quick idea of what's going on over in Phoenix, that's a great place to look for that information. So uh, make sure you check it all out, folks. All right, so on this episode, we're going to take a look back, like we said, on the Tulsa match. It was, a, uh, as Dylan said, a party uh, over there at Championship Soccer Stadium in beautiful Irvine as Orange County just sort of continued what they do against Tulsa, especially for this season. Uh, coming up victorious and then we'll also um, take a look forward at uh, the upcoming matches we actually have a couple of upcoming matches between now and our next episode that we'll look at for Orange County and we'll sprinkle in some stuff we'll talk a little bit of World Cup with some of our guests um, and any other USL news we can find out there so getting started with things we're going to talk first about the 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 party at uh, Championship Soccer Stadium is that what it was Dylan Yeah, the, the, the first few, uh, probably about 20 to 30 minutes of the match, it was actually a pretty good contest. Uh, I don't know if uh, anyone else noticed that as well, but it seemed like it was going to be a pretty good match. And then for whatever reason, somehow, someway, Orange County just kicked it up a gear and, and you know piled on the goals against, uh, against Tulsa. Uh, Corey, you were calling the game for ESPN+. Plus. Uh, did you notice the, that same type of uh, thing at the match? Yeah, there was definitely a turning point. From what I could tell, it happened. There was an attempt on goal... Uh, in about the the 59th minute, uh, and uh, and Andre Rawls made a spectacular save, but the game was really close to being 2-2 two to two at that point. And then the very next play, uh, Orange County goes down the field, gets a corner kick, and then that became the, the Cronali goal, the third goal. And af- after that, it just was completely opened up, and, and Orange County went on a huge run. But it was interesting because it, it was a well-played competitive game and and like I said it was very close to being a 2-2 score and then Orange County scores that third goal and from there they they just started to dominate it must it's it's sort of like I guess if you watch you know there's always these movies or something where you have this tight competition someone almost you know catches up and then the 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 better player the better person just sort of provides a sort of knockout punch sort of like uh, what we're seeing in this match and I know you mentioned you know there was a great save there by Andre Rolls and it seems like every week that's what we're talking about here on this podcast is the great saves that Andre Rolls was uh, making in the matches I actually feel like he probably should have had a clean sheet because the one goal they did give up um, it's it was totally on the defense uh, and I'm not going to sort of harp on the defense, you know, on this because we've sort of been talking about that the last few weeks that the defense has been a little bit shaky for Orange County on some of these plays where we're giving up goals. But um, I don't know if, if any of you all agree with me that Rawls definitely deserved a clean sheet in that match. I agree with you. I mean, the, the, we, we joked on the broadcast, my partner and I, that in a way that the center backs, the defense was playing better offense than they were defense. Uh, obviously, the two center backs both scoring goals of their own. And I think you're completely right, Ray. The, the one goal that Orange County gave up, that was entirely on the defense. Uh, and, and so I think, uh, I agree. I mean, Andre Rawls, I've been able to call, I believe, four matches for Orange County this year. And in all of them, Andre Rawls has been spectacular. I mean, there, there's a reason that he's at the top of the league in clean sheets. Uh, and, and he made some great saves uh, this weekend, 
And uh, and it is a shame that he didn't get a clean sheet because he played a really, really great match. And, um, you know, we've, we've talked about it too is is because you have this weird defensive uh, defensive rotation going on with Orange County. Some of it plays with some of these new players that have recently joined the club. Some of it has to do with loanees that are, you know, going back and forth between the MLS and USL. And then some of it's just you have players that – Uh, for whatever reason, seem to be not getting the minutes as they were getting early in the season. So I think one of the things you saw, especially on that one goal Orange County gave up, was there's this lack of a cohesive defensive midfield there. Um, Jos Hoyveld, or Josh Hoyveld, I think is the way it's pronounced. Uh, Dylan tried to correct me on that earlier. Uh, He got a chance to speak with with him after the match. But, um, you know, you saw him and I think Alex Cornelli were our center, uh, uh, center defense this match. And I don't know if that is playing into some of the the issues or some of the the problems when we're giving up some of these goals that really we shouldn't be giving it up, uh, giving up. But uh, maybe you know, maybe hopefully Orange County will be able to find uh, you know a set starting maybe rotation of three players that are going to play so the players can start getting um, so, some you know chemistry going. Uh, what do you think, Dylan? Yeah, um, and and as we'll find out a little bit later with my interview with uh, Josh that. Um, part of it is just trying to settle in and then when you have uh, Alex Cronelli coming back from Columbus uh, seemingly kind of randomly it, I, I get that it's really difficult Alright, so thanks Dylan for that and, and we have a, a you know guest that sort of brings an outsider opinion because we had myself watching uh, as a fan, we had Dylan in the stands we had Corey calling the game on ESPN Plus and with us we also have Dominic here who um, was sort of paying attention to this as an outside as an outsider, maybe taking notes, preparing for the matchup uh, that's going to be happening here on Friday between Orange County and Phoenix. Dominic, what did you see uh, on that match, or did you get to watch any of that match, and what are your thoughts? Um, I did not get to see that match, but it's funny you ask, because actually I was recording last week's pod with uh, Jeff Went, and right as we were recording, right as we were going through the matches in the Western Conference, we saw all these goals coming in for Orange County uh, when we... When we started the scores around the league uh, segment, first we were gonna think we were thinking it was two one, or two zero. Then it was two one. Then it was three one. Then it was four. And all of this is happening right as we're recording. And uh, anytime you get six different guys on the score sheet, that's pretty impressive. Um, but you have to take that with a lot of grains of salt because I'm well aware that you guys won five nil. Was it 5-0 at Tulsa or 5-0 at OKC earlier this year? It was 5-0 uh, at Tulsa. Yeah, the Tulsa match, I think, was 5-0 in Tulsa. So, Okay, so it was 5-0. And then we beat them 5-1 over there. So, I mean, it's a great win. And, you know, credit where credit's due. But at the same token, Tulsa is a pretty bad team. Uh, we'll cover it in a little more detail later in this episode. But uh, their coach, David Vadrul... Uh, he got fired and now they have an interim guy coming in for the rest of the season. They're the only winless team in the Western Conference this year. So, I mean, it is pretty impressive, but I don't know how much bearing that scoreline has on what's going to happen Friday. I think it, like you called it out. It was amazing, though, that it was six different players that were able to get on, on the score sheet there for Orange County. It wasn't just one or two players that were just dominating the match. And it was coming from all over the pitch. It wasn't just, you know, our forwards. It wasn't just 
our, our, our big center backs that were getting uh, the goals. It was just spread out all evenly throughout the match. Uh, and I think, like you said, it just sort of poured on. It was just like sort of you, you turn away for five minutes and now we're up, you know, two or three more goals on the, on the match. So definitely was one of those things where you had to really be focusing on the match to see what was going on. Uh, I'm sure, you know, having to, uh, call all these matches and all these games. Uh, you know, Corey's over there trying to figure out who's who just scored right now and who scored again and who's this and what's going on. We just had a goal. Corey, what was it like for you having to just keep calling goals? Uh, d- definitely, I mean, it, it's fun. As an announcer, goal, calling goals, it's a lot of fun. Um, I'm not I'm not Andres Contour, so I don't do the, the, the screaming goal. That's his signature thing, uh, and he kills it. So, you know, for, for me... Uh, you know, there's still though that that definite excitement when there's a goal on either side, uh, and and in this case that that was definitely true. Though I noticed towards the end, uh, especially that that sixth and final goal, it it was at that point it, it was just so the match was just it was so brutal. I mean, Orange County was playing so well. Tulsa was just completely defeated. Uh, there, there was the the ball that was sent in by I believe it was Inovaldson that sent the ball in, uh, and it was a it was a great ball. The defense for Tulsa had just stopped playing, and it, it was at that point it, again it was almost just sad because they had stopped playing. There was absolutely no one marking uh, Bierman, who was wide open on the other side of the net. Once it got past the keeper Serta, uh, he sort of gave up, and Bierman. I mean that that was the least excited I have ever seen anyone after scoring their first goal of the season I mean normally someone scores their first goal they're thrilled they're excited Bierman I mean because of the scoreline because it was just so dominant and because Tulsa had seemingly given up that last goal you were somewhere between laughing and crying just because Orange County was so incredibly dominant Tulsa was they were completely resigned and the second that ball came in from Inovaltsin and Bierman finished it, again, we mentioned it on the broadcast, even just from Bierman's reaction, you could tell he wasn't, he, he didn't come across that thrilled because it was just such a pummeling that, I mean, credit to Orange County, but also uh, tough to see for the Roughnecks who just had an awful night yet again against Orange County. So, uh, I guess I'd have to ask Dylan on this. Were you or were any of the supporters out there in the stands, were you guys feeling bad for Tulsa at any point late in the match, or is it sort of tough luck? We want as many points as we can get on the board. Um, I don't really think that we were particularly <laughs> feeling bad for them. Um, it sucks to see teams get blown out um, as a neutral fan, but when that's the club you're watching week in, week out, it's a lot of fun to see them do as well as possible and to pick up another massive result against Tulsa is, it's good to see. Um, at least for what the team, what it means for the team, I think, moving forward, they can play with that confidence of, oh, we've beat this team in the past, or we've, we've gotten a result against this team, um, and that should be enough to, to draw out some better performances, I think. But just being in the stands, we always wanted one more, and we sing songs about wanting one more. And once I got up to uh, to five one, we we chanted for for five one, and we were uh, giving a bit of stick to some of the Tulsa players. But I mean, in, in jest, and I think by the time that we were kind of getting after them, uh, they had long since given up. And, and by the way, I just want to chime in. I should mention. 
Orange County did not. This this was not um, a brutal or unsportsmanlike the the way they played. You know, down the stretch, they were just playing solid soccer. They were passing. They they weren't all that aggressive. It was just that Tulsa at the very end had had completely given up. That again with that that final that sixth goal that Bierman goal, it was almost like he he wasn't even trying to score. It, it just they were playing good soccer, and Tulsa was just not challenging them. Uh, and and so for the keeper, for Serta, there was nothing he can do. Orange County had just completely taken over the match. Now, I'm trying to remember back. what did, In the first half, didn't uh, Tulsa have a very similar opportunity as that uh, Bierman goal um, towards the end of the match? Did Tulsa have a similar opportunity where the Bulls sort of sputtered across, but they just couldn't finish it up? I, I Does anyone remember? or? Yeah, it was actually really early on um just a dangerous ball that kind of got poked through within the six and then there was no one actually there at the far post to pick it up um one of the Tulsa players did try and um put it on frame but he was he was shooting at an angle where if he had scored that it would have been the most embarrassing uh combination of uh, defensive and goalkeeper failure um but this, like after that, there wasn't too much to to really look for in their attack, and that might just sort of you know be the picture of the night. I mean, the uh, a very similar opportunity for both teams for Tulsa early, for Orange County late in the match, and it was Orange County just sort of clinical on the finish, whereas Tulsa maybe a player just wasn't quite in the right position and um, had to sort of reach for that, and and that just sort of I mean plays. I mean again, Tulsa hasn't won a match all season, which you know I, I feel bad for them. I feel bad for the fans. Because uh, you know, I don't think any fan wants to to go through a full season where you're not winning matches. But uh, you know, you got to appreciate as an Orange County fan at least that the team came in, took care of business. Um, you know, like Corey said, they weren't trying to run up the score, they weren't trying to be malicious about it, but they were just taking care of their business, playing really great uh, soccer, passing the ball really well, and and finishing out the game strong. So, uh, you know, uh, you know, again, uh, Dominic mentioned it's Tulsa. You can't be t- super excited about. Uh, uh, beating Tulsa like that because you know other teams have done it, but it's definitely something that hopefully you can build off of. And I, I, I would definitely not expect Orange County to do the same type of thing against Phoenix uh, on Friday, but you would hope that the momentum can sort of carry and some of these players that had some um, really great performances can keep that run of form um, heading to the next match. So uh, let's talk about this then uh, before we sort of finish talking about this match. There's a couple other things I want to talk about. One of them, though, I want to try and figure out what was, uh, you know, uh, Dylan, um, Corey, you were watching the match, calling it. What was probably your pick for the goal of the match uh, on this? Let's start with Dylan. Um, I'm super biased, and I don't know if I've already said this on the pod, but I went to school with uh, Ami Pineda for a semester, and he was in my class. And uh, I don't know if he's listening to this or if anyone from the from the team any of the players are listening but uh he would ask me every class for uh either a pencil or, or some paper and i uh happily gave it to him i like to think that he repaid it there um first career goal is massive and i was thrilled for him um one of the fellow fans in the county coalition blaine uh is actually his neighbor so when we realized that it was ami had scored i turned to him and he was that's my neighbor that's my neighbor it was it was awesome and it's it's really cool for the club um i know they shouted him out um, a little bit on social media, but you know he's a local grown player. He grew up and still lives in Santa Ana and, and played in Orange County for almost his entire junior career. So it's it may have had no real impact, 
on how the game was going because it was well over by the time that he put it up to 5-1. But it was a, a nice story, I think. No, definitely. That's definitely a good pick for, for a goal of the match. And before I get to you, Corey, um, I want to just sort of play this little clip because Dylan actually got to um, speak with uh, Ami after the match to sort of get an idea of how he felt uh, with that goal. So let me go ahead and get that clip up here for you guys. First match back, how much does that mean to you? I mean, honestly, it's, it's obviously like a dream come true for me. It's my first professional goal. And obviously, I've been kind of like uh, a tough beginning of the season. Obviously, not getting minutes. From last year, getting a lot of minutes. See, it's a learning experience for me. Obviously, you know, something just always keep working and never stop. And I mean, this is the best feeling ever. And I mean, I feel great. All right, so you had a better game this week. Uh, you can put one in. All right. So um, sort of sort of got it going into our next clip there, but you could hear that Ami was excited about that goal. Um, you know, definitely, uh, you know, you could just see his reaction to that. I don't know if you saw that too, Corey, when you were calling the match, um, but you know, it's always great to get your first goal out there as a professional. Certainly, and, and his celebration, we remarked uh, on the broadcast, his celebration was probably the best because uh, he sort of dove in to finish it and then just got to, to lay back and, and have that sense of satisfaction. So that, that was definitely cool to see. Uh, I think the most impactful goal uh, was was the third one, was from uh, Cronali. Again, like I mentioned earlier, because the match was nearly 2-2. If not for a great save from Rawls, it would have been 2-2 and, and a real, you know, anyone's match. And then Orange County just storms down the field, gets a corner, Cronali's right there, and after that, the match just was blown right open. So I'd say the third goal, the Cronali goal, was the most impactful, uh, but I think the best goal was was Hoyfeldt's, uh, because going back through the others, because Orange County played so much of a team game, a lot of them, the, the goals themselves weren't spectacular. I mean, one was a penalty, but a lot of the others, they were just finishing a great set piece in or you know a great cross in uh in the case of Pineda or Bierman or even Cronali who was just standing in front of the goal and was unmarked uh the Hoyveld goal that started things off that was just a really great play of a defender who's got plenty of size getting up there and he put so much power and direction on the ball from that first header uh, I would say that was probably the the best goal of the match but the Cronali goal the most impactful goal I'll definitely agree with you as far as the best goal of the match. I think that Hoyville uh, goal was just an amazing goal. Uh, watching it on the stream on ESPN Plus, I saw that happen. Uh, and it's just, I mean, that's something you see even in some of the top leagues, that just sort of perfect header off of a corner. And Hoyville got some nice power behind it as well. Uh, that was the one that definitely excited me. You know, not only that, but, you know, I picked him as sort of the player of, of the week, although it may have been a little bit of a, I was trying to uh, avoid some mishaps that have happened on previous um, player of the weeks or player of the matches that I've picked before, but Hoyville definitely that header was awesome. And um, that was another player that Dylan got a chance to uh, speak with after the match. So let's hear what uh, Hoyville had to say. Uh, you can put one in. You had one go off the crossbar. Um, yeah. What do you make of it? What led to that? Uh, just corners, you know, then you go up and you have to make sure that you're, uh, you're there where the ball drops. Two times I was on it, luckily, and one was a goal, one was uh, like an assist. So happy with that. Okay. Cool. Um, it's three weeks for you and three starts. How are you settling in with everything? Uh, well, I had to get used to a lot of things. You know, definitely. Um, you know, my body had to get used to a lot of things. 
I was um, off the ball for a few weeks. I've been running a lot, so I kept my uh, my uh, I would say my lungs were all right, but like the ball and the small feet were were uh, not uh, not up to speed. I slowly think that's getting there. So um, yeah. It's, it's it's getting better, you know. I also get used to everything. Uh, first, uh, uh, jet lag okay. quite heavily. Go ahead and check out. Um, you know, uh, wow. not the youngest anymore. Uh, a lot of uh, changes with pitches and everything. But yeah, just as I say, uh, I start to get my feet a little bit going. So that's the good thing. Awesome. And then just adapting all to having different defensive partners and being yeah. a changing unit. Yeah, definitely. That's always difficult, you know. Uh, so it's uh, it's yeah it, it it's not easy especially not coming into a team that's been uh, already on the roll you know uh, directly jumping in but um, luckily we got the results so so far you know we had uh, seven seven points so that's all right awesome all right all right so first I gotta say is you gotta love security guards in the background just deciding let me be as loud as I can while Dylan's trying to uh, record some quotes from the players right Dylan. Oh yeah, that guy was a uh, maybe not my my favorite person of the night. Um, I should also mention that he looks big on a screen, um, watching highlight videos and, and watching game recaps, and, and probably for those of you who watch the stream on ESPN Plus, he is huge in person. Um, I'm like five eleven and, and like one sixty, and he makes me feel like I'm four feet tall. He is so tall and so wide. He occupies so much space that I can only imagine playing against him. I would probably hate it on any set piece. Uh, defending a corner against him, I'd probably just give up. Oh, no, I I, I definitely agree with you on that. Uh, after the Los Dos match, uh, that was his first match with the club. I actually got a chance to just sort of speak with him really quick. And, yeah, he's definitely – you know, a solid big, you know, a big, solid big man out there. And uh, he's with that said, though, he's he's actually a really great guy. He's fun to talk to. So, um, you know, amazing, uh, you know, physical, you know, player for Orange County. Great personality out there. So uh, definitely uh, glad, you know, uh, that he's with us um, and that he's getting his his legs going. He, you know, I, I still sort of question why he's been thrown in right away into the lineup, uh, you know, after being signed and not having played for a while. Um, joining a new league halfway across the world. But you can see the the steady improvement uh, in the three matches he's played. He's gotten better each match. In this match, you know, leading to a goal off of a corner kick. Um, he had the one sort of defensive last, uh, lapse, but, you know, that was sort of both of the center defenders or whoever else was near him. It was just sort of one of those plays where probably players that haven't played together. Um, so, you know, as you start playing together, you get that chemistry and you sort of can read who's going to go after the ball or is that guy going to get it or not. Um, so definitely. All right. So um, one last thing before we get to our um, trying to pick our man of the match or our MVP, um, uh, Corey called it on the broadcast and uh, I noticed it as well. And there's been some tweets about it is that the officiating crew for this match was a full female officiating crew, which is definitely not something you see too often. Uh, in pretty much any major uh, sport, especially men's sports, uh, what did, what did you all think of that? I, I don't know, uh, you know, Dylan, if you guys noticed that at, at the stadium, or if you didn't, you know, maybe notice that until after the fact. Uh, was that uh, discussed at all? Uh, immediately, we we noticed it in the County Line Coalition. We were thinking, whoa, this is this is definitely the first time that we had ever seen it, and I know uh, it was actually the second time ever in the USL. Um, 
so it was a surprise and, and we were joking you know we still hate them just as much as as the men's referees there's no <laughs> uh you know as, as we're harassing them for their their missed calls uh you know <laughs> there's no admonition there just because they're women it's because the referees so we're gonna we're gonna give them some stick no matter what but i think it was cool um I know I'd, I'd seen some of the comments on Orange County's Instagram post, and a couple people had commented, like, oh, my, you know, I was at the game with my family, and my daughters noticed, and they were thrilled. So uh, even if nothing else but that, that's that's huge. But beyond that, I think their performance was actually pretty good. Uh, it was one of the better refereeing performances we've had this season. I will agree on that. <laughs> what about you, uh, Corey, calling the match? Did, uh, you know, what were your thoughts on just sort of getting a chance to call a match like that where it's a very rare occurrence? Yeah, it was very cool, and and as we mentioned on the match, is, is that in in a way you it's a shame that it's notable that that we have to mention it or or that we should mention it uh, because it should not be something that is so rare because obviously there are all men's referee crews most of the time uh, in in most sports, so it shouldn't be something that is so rare and that that should be notable that uh, that we should want to mention, but. Uh, it is very rare. It was only the second time in USL history that it happened. Uh, it's very cool that it happened. There's there's no reason, uh, even in, in a sport when you have men's leagues and women's leagues, uh, there's no reason that coaches and referees should not uh, be of the opposite gender. Um, I, I On top of USL, I also do NWSL uh, play-by-play. And with those, there are plenty of, of male referees. There are plenty of male coaches. Uh, which is perfectly fine, just like there should be plenty of female referees, and I know there aren't any now, but female coaches in USL. So uh, it was definitely cool uh, to see USL and uh, something, again, because it's so rare, um, you know, people haven't seen it before, only the second time in USL history, and uh, yeah, it, it's it's nice that it happened and people could see it, and I don't think any rational person uh, would have any uh, hang-ups about it, but if they did, they could watch that match and say, "Oh, look, it's it's totally fine." <laughs> they're you know they're they're just like other referees, and uh, as Dylan mentioned, in some cases better. So it was it was definitely uh, cool to see. Oh, definitely, it was one of those matches where you know typically you know you're you're especially when you're watching on the TV where you can you know rewind, pause, uh, you know slow things up. Uh, you know, you, you always want to second guess and question and all this stuff. But it was actually one of those matches I was watching where it's like, you know, I was actually impressed. There was, you know, not many bad calls. Uh, I know you mentioned there was, or you or your partner on the broadcast, uh, Corey, had mentioned you maybe Christian Duke should have gotten a yellow card earlier in the match for a little bit of his, uh, you know, tugging of the jersey, tugging the arms or whatnot. But, I mean, really, that's the one thing that I'm looking at is maybe, you know, that was maybe a missed opportunity. But when you look at, a lot of the matches throughout the season for Orange County, I can call, you know, multiple times through a match where, where you might have concerns as a fan or even just as a general observer. Uh, Dominic, uh, what, what are your thoughts out there, you know, uh, in, uh, in Phoenix on, on an all-woman crew? Bring them out here for Friday. I mean, if they can ref well, then they should be refing wherever they get the opportunity. And, you know, what does gender have to do with it if you can ref at a quality standard then that's all that matters right 
No, definitely. And, and, you know, hopefully one day this isn't something where it's just this awesome topic because it's such a rare thing. Hopefully, you know, in the near future, it's one of those things that's just expected. It's something that you see a lot, um, something that you expect. So, uh, you know, it doesn't become this this topic of a podcast like ours here. But I just thought I wanted to bring it up just briefly because I thought it was definitely a, a neat thing. And hopefully we can see more of that, um, not just in USL, but just in sports in general. All right, so really quick before we move on to talking about um, the upcoming matches and a few other things, I just want to get everyone's just brief pick for MVP of the match. Uh, let's go ahead and start with uh, Corey. Corey, who was your MVP for the match? Well, on the broadcast, we gave MVP to Thomas Inovoltsen. Uh Part of that was because he became uh, the active leading goal scorer this season in USL, uh, and and obviously he assisted that goal. He played a great match, so I'm sort of tied. Inovoltsen had a great game. Uh, but on top of that, Aiden Quinn played really well, uh, sending in both of the first two goals. Uh, definitely deserved a lot of credit, plus he scored the goal off the penalty kick. Uh, but Quinn and Inovolts are definitely the two standouts uh, for my end. All right, what about for you, Dylan? Aiden Quinn. Um, I know I've talked a lot about this, or I've talked a lot on this podcast about how he maybe doesn't get um the credit he deserves i think he dictates the pace of the game really well um i mean he got the penalty goal and i think that's just a nice little reward for his efforts but the uh the assist that he notched up as well it's hopefully that just leads to more uh confidence from him and maybe some more goals uh maybe from uh, open play instead fingers crossed there yeah and then i don't know dominic I, again you were sort of recording a podcast at the time i don't know if you've gotten a chance to look at some of the highlights from the match do you have any thoughts or who would you say was the mvp for that match i mean the usl recognized aiden quinn as the one uh big standout there uh being on the first team and then ened voldson is honorable mention i think that's just one of those where it's just a team win right if six different guys are scoring, if if uh, Andre Rawls is making some huge saves to keep you guys ahead when it was still a close match, um, there's I mean that's one of those where I think just the entire team's performance should be applauded. Yeah, I'm I'm gonna agree with you on that. It, part of it with the six goals uh, and they were all spread out. It was no one that scored two goals. It was six individual scores, and I think a great team performance minus one defensive lapse that erased a clean sheet for Andre Rawls. So I'm actually gonna have to say I'm gonna give it a team MVP on this match just because I think that was one of the most. Uh, uh, you know, one of the best matches I've seen Orange County play, uh, at least recently um, as well. I know they had some great matches early on uh, in the season, uh, but I feel like they did such a great job and there was just such great team play, um, great passing uh, throughout the match. So I definitely have uh, probably give a full like team MVP on this match. All right, real quick, before we go on to talk about our upcoming matches, which includes Phoenix and then also a match against Colorado Springs coming up early next week. Um, and before we talk uh, any further about other stuff, I want to just remind everyone that uh, you can find the Orange and Black Soccer cast on the Angels on Parade website, which is part of SB Nation. Angels on Parade is a, a blog website that's dedicated to LAFC, but they also do a wonderful job of covering Orange County Soccer Club. They've been doing that for the last few years, back to when Orange County was actually called the Blues. Uh, so feel free to check us out there and also just follow them for any uh, news related to Orange County Soccer Club, along with our um, MLS affiliate, LAFC. All right, so really quick, let's go ahead and before we talk about our upcoming matches, let's just do a 
brief little panel discussion on what's been going on with the World Cup. World Cup is just this amazing soccer tournament. I'm sure um, if you haven't heard of it, now you've heard of it. Uh, but I just want to just sort of find out from our um, guests here uh, what their thoughts are, what they've uh, enjoyed, what are maybe a surprise that they've seen from this uh, this tournament. And I'll go ahead and start with Dominic, our guest from Phoenix. Uh, from Phoenix, uh, Dominic, what are your thoughts on the World Cup so far? Wow, putting me on the spot. Um, I think this has been... I mean, everyone wants to talk about VAR, and some people love it, and some people hate it, and it's not a perfect system yet, but it so far seems to have made a positive difference in most matches, and the outcomes, I mean, occasionally you'll have a penalty kick that should be called, and it's not, even after VAR, but it seems the majority of the time that they're getting the right decisions, and it's been implemented well, and that you have, you're not going like the NFL does to review calls where the ref is going to change it based on an interpretation. They're only using VAR if it's a call that there's new information that the head referee has not seen, and this information would pretty significantly change the outcome that was called on the field. And so the way it's been implemented, uh, it, it seems to be good so far. Um, you know, and one example being Nigeria getting the penalty against Argentina today. Um, just seems like it was the right decision there. Um, and and there, there, there are some decisions that are up more for debate, but I think that's the one that everyone is talking about now. As far as teams, which teams are looking like they can win it all, which ones are not. This is the World Cup where all the strong powerhouse nations are kind of playing at a level below. And then those those nations that are usually at the level below the Mexico's of the world, the Croatia's and the England's of the world are actually looking like world beaters. So when we get to that round of 16, it's going to be fascinating. And I'm hoping we get some absolute like cracking matchups in the round of 16. I mean, we already have Argentina, France. There's a distinct possibility we can get Brazil, Germany. Um, my pick, and we'll see, maybe I'll be wrong, but I feel like Mexico is going to win their group and they're still going to end up getting Brazil. I hope that doesn't happen, but um, it looks like we're going to have some awesome round of 16 matchups. And if I had to choose a winner right now, I think I I had, I had France before the tournament started and then I switched it to Brazil right before it started. Um, yeah, it, I guess I'll stick with Brazil, but it's definitely very up in the air right now no one is looking convincing that's the, i i agree with you on that aspect that it's actually been a, sh uh, a little bit of a surprise to me that there hasn't been this one dominant or two dominant teams that we're seeing in there some of these powerhouses are not playing up to their potential uh, france has been one of my picks from the uh, early portion of of the world cup or even pre-world cup uh, matches france was one of my picks uh also want to just briefly jump back on you because you talked about var i was scared of var heading into the world cup i'm um i always have to throw the name in but i'm a tottenham hotspur fan uh and in the i, I don't remember if it's the fa cup or whichever cup it was that they were playing some matches in there was some really questionable there was one match in particular and i can't remember who they were playing where v, var failed it, and after that match, I was totally like, really, this is going to ruin the World Cup. I've been shocked at how well VAR has worked in the World Cup. Is it perfect? No. Um, are there some you know, little hiccups? Yes, but it has actually worked a lot better and a lot, uh, a lot smoother than I had expected, especially after my experiences of what I saw 
uh, in England. So uh, definitely agree with you that VAR um, has you know been an interesting aspect here of the World Cup. Um, on there. What about you, Corey? Um, you know, what have your thoughts been on the World Cup? Who are you rooting for? Who do you think is going to win it all? Uh, well, in terms of rooting for, I'm a huge fan of the German national team. Uh, I'm, I'm a huge fan of Die Mannschaft. Uh, I, I'm a, my club team is Bayern Munich. Uh, and so um, I, I'm all in with the Germans. Four years ago uh, was incredible. And uh, and so I'm definitely hoping uh, that, that the Germans find a way to, to pull it out. Things were looking very bleak uh, up until uh, Saturday, actually, earlier uh, before the Orange County match. Uh, I was watching that game, and uh, and I was alone. And when Tony Cruz scored the, the game winner in the 95th minute, I had I screamed for a second. Then I had to stop myself because I had a game that night. I didn't want to lose my voice. Uh, but definitely some... Some late game heroics from Cruz. I'm hoping that sort of energizes Germany. I'm not sure that this just might not be uh, their time. It's incredibly tough for uh, teams to repeat. It's re- really it's incredibly tough for teams to get out of the group when they won a World Cup. Um, I think it it's happened uh, like five of the last six World Cups that that the reigning champ didn't make it out of the group. Uh, so there's a chance that Germany doesn't even make it out of the group. Uh, I hope that they go far. In terms of, of who can win it all, this has been a, a wide-open World Cup, uh, as has been mentioned. And I, it's really exciting. I mean, not, not only has it been wide open, but it's also been the World Cup of teams and not star players because Messi, yeah, Argentina just advanced to the round of 16, but it wasn't really Messi that brought them there. I'm also not blaming Messi for Argentina's uh, faults. I mean, it's it's not a very strong team. Uh, but this wasn't Messi putting the, the whole country on his back and winning it by himself. Uh, Portugal, Ronaldo, obviously, his first match was huge. But after that, that's that's been more of a team effort. Spain is pretty team-oriented. Uh, so and, and, and Brazil, they've played decently, but Neymar hasn't stood out so so all the star players that people were expecting uh to run the conversation they've been a little bit quieter and the one save for for harry kane from tottenham uh who's been huge for england and really the teams that have impressed a ton have been the ones that are just complete teams like germany was four years ago croatia has played exceptionally well uruguay has played great and not necessarily because of luis suarez but just a great team effort uh, France has looked pretty good, and uh, and I think Mexico's looked good. I think it's going to be uh, a, a World Cup where we might see a winner that's that has not won before. I mean, for all the World Cups there have been throughout history, it's just been a couple countries that have won uh, all of them, and I, I think there's a good chance that we don't see Germany or, or France or Brazil or Argentina I think there's a good chance that not one of the powerhouses wins. I think we could see, I know England has won one. We could see England do it, but we could also very well see Belgium or Croatia uh, or Uruguay do it. So I, I think this is a wide open World Cup. It's not about stars. It's about teams. Uh, and it's exciting. I mean, on one hand, I know people love Messi and Ronaldo and Neymar and they want to see them. But it's really exciting to see how teams play together and the ones that are really gelling well and not just relying on one player how they're really stepping up. So it's going to be exciting because no one has any clue what's going to happen. No, definitely agree with you on that. Dylan, um, 
what have you noticed as far as or what are your thoughts in the last week on the World Cup? Um, I'll start with a, a quote from, I think, uh, Timo Werner, who said, uh, quote, there are no normal goals in this cup. It's either a set piece, own goal, or a banger. <laughs> um, and this was in regards to Cruz's goal, which I was watching that, and I just, that was amazing. Um, my jaw was on the floor. I was in shock. I know he's an amazing player, and he's so important to uh, Madrid for his club. Um, and it seems like he was he was quiet for points of that that moment against Sweden. But you know what? If you're gonna score a 95th minute goal like that, you cannot play a half for all I care. You know, you showed up when it mattered. Um, in regards to VAR, I think uh, FIFA could learn a lot from how rugby does it, which um, it's even more of a fringe sport in this country. So um, well, rugby... they they put it up on the screen or on the big screen, right? Exactly. The Everyone in the stadium gets to watch the replay, and then there's actually a um, referee specifically in charge of uh, those reviews. Um, and a, a lot of times what the, what happens is the head ref um, or the center ref will ask a question, um, normally a yes or no question, and that referee will um, provide a yes or no answer um, as opposed to a weird interpretation. Um, it's something that's broadcast as broadcasted as well in the stadium um moving on from VAR a little bit it seems like the refs have been allowing a lot of contact um letting the games go a little bit which surprisingly hasn't resulted in any serious injuries yet um I know that PK yesterday had a two-footed challenge in in Spain's match it's seven minutes in that was ridiculous Uh, I was not only amazed that he did not get sent off for that I was amazed that there was no VAR um to see if it was a red card like there was against the Ronaldo yellow that he got. Um, But as a team, uh, (laughs) every week, I I get to bring this up because they're still in it. England. um, My God, what a game. Um, I actually missed all of it because I was busy, which was very frustrating. I know I'll eventually get to see one of them. But uh, 6-1 is massive. Even if it's against Panama, who finally scored their first uh, World Cup goal, um, I think they may have sorted out their uh, their dressing room issues and and their um, how to deal with the stress that the the English media really really puts on them. Um, and Lingard's goal, I have to give a shout out to, was <laughs> was absolutely amazing. I could watch that on replay uh, repeatedly. That's got to be up there with his uh, twenty fifteen, I believe, twenty sixteen FA Cup winner. Well, totally different, too, from his first match where it seemed like he couldn't hit the net or he couldn't even get a shot, like, on target, um, speaking of Lingard. Uh, and, by the way, England, you know, they have Harry Kane, so that's all that really matters, right? He's going to lead them to victory. Uh, yeah, you know. it's, it's just Harry Kane. There's, there's <laughs> no one else on that team. Well, plus, you know, four other Spurs players out there. So, uh, no, I'm, I, I'm just joking on that. But the other thing that's going to be interesting is I want to see tomorrow um, when Belgium and England face each other with the prospects of potentially wanting to finish second in their group to get the easier draw in the next round, you know, that's you know going to be a questionable thing because technically whoever wins a group should be the tougher match. But um, because of the way things have matched up with them in the group settings, it's going to come down to fair play uh, points. And that basically means whoever gets less yellow cards or less red cards are going to finish probably top of the table. That's if the teams draw tomorrow, of course. Um, so I think that'll be interesting because if they're both going to maybe be playing cautiously and going for that draw, and then are you going to see some little chippy, uh, 
you know, plays where players are just trying to get an extra yellow card, or are they going to just play it straight up? That's going to be an interesting thing to look at uh, in that match. I don't know if any of y'all are thinking uh, the same as me on that. Um, I don't think that any team really stands to get uh, to really gain anything from playing physically or, or playing uh, having chippy or, or late challenges. Um, not only are you picking up cards that are going to hurt you further down the line, um, there's no point. A lot of these guys play together and they know each other. I mean, you have Lingard and Lukaku who both play for United. Um, that makes sense. Vert- Vertonghen plays for Spurs, right? Yes, Vertonghen, Alderweireld, yeah, so Dembele. He has nothing to gain from you know, some late challenge into Kane or some late challenge into Delali. Um, I think we'll see a game that's pretty fair in evenly matched, and uh, I'd be surprised if it's something cheap. Uh, just so I you... actually... Oh, go on. I, I was just going to say, I think this is going to be a fascinating match if they play it full out. Uh, you know, both teams are going for a win uh, and to win their group. I think if that's the case and this is a competitive match uh, I would say that the winner of this match has probably the best chance of going on and winning the World Cup I, I think these are the two uh, the, the, in terms of the way the teams have looked these are probably the two best teams that I've seen so far at this World Cup uh, I, I know I mentioned uh, Uruguay and Croatia this far but in terms of talent mixed with chemistry I think England and Belgium are probably the two front runners, and whoever, if if this is a competitive match, whoever comes out on top, I would probably put my money on them to win it all. Um, yeah, I think so. Two things, just because I do love conspiracies, and the la- the next two days are going to set up pretty well for potential conspiracies. Uh, tomorrow, Mexico and Germany play the seven a.m. games. If the most likely outcome happens, which is Germany beats Korea and Mexico gets at least a draw with Sweden. Then Mexico wins the group. Mexico and Germany both get through. And then Brazil knows the re- the scores of those matches going into its 11 a.m. match with Serbia. Switzerland's going to beat Costa Rica. So they're going to be on six points. If Brazil draws Serbia, they get second place, which means they would get to play Mexico as opposed to Germany. It'll be interesting to see how that match goes, because both teams, Serbia and Brazil, have everything to play for. It's a tricky balance if you're Brazil. On one hand, you don't want to uh, leave it too close, where one Serbia moment of magic knocks you out. But on the other hand, you'd rather play Mexico than Germany in the round of 16, right? Oh, definitely. And then, and then on Thursday, the uh, Colombia... Senegal, Colombia, and Japan-Poland matches are going to be in the morning. And so depending on those scores, England and Belgium will both know whether Colombia wins the group or whether Senegal or Japan wins the group. If Japan beats Poland, they win that group because I would be stunned if Senegal beats Colombia. Um, If Japan draws Poland or Poland wins, then you're probably looking at Colombia winning the group. And if Colombia wins the group, then you get into that France, Denmark, gross nil-nil territory where both teams are trying not to win because you don't want to play Colombia. Um, it's just, I know that they play these matches, uh, the both both matches in the group at the same times, so that 
no team gets a competitive advantage over another team within the group, but it does set itself up for some interesting numbers and some potential uh, Reddit conspiracy, conspiracy theories uh, to sprout, uh, depending on how those matches go. And you heard it here first, somehow Mexico is going to get drawn against Brazil. I just <laughs> It's just going to happen. Yeah, gone through I'm this too many times. I'm all on you for conspiracy theories because I, I definitely think that there's a big potential for some big conspiracy theories going on here. I, I think just what you were calling out, and I think uh, if I can remember correctly, even looking for, uh, forward past the first, you know, first round there, um, you know, it might be beneficial for either Belgium or England to want to be in that, uh, you know, sort of second level of their bra- of their group because of what the potential future matchups might be just based on the way things have ended up on some of these matches. That's all, that's, that's all going on in the future. We'll probably have a lot to talk about that next week, but uh, definitely uh, thank you both uh, for everyone, Dylan, uh, Dominic and uh, Corey for sharing just some of your thoughts on the world cup there. Um, yeah, no really quick before it's we move on, I, I want to um, just do this because uh, for those of you who don't know, we're recording this late Tuesday evening uh, and we actually have our guest, Corey. He's actually on the East Coast. So for him, it's actually really, really late. It's actually early in the morning now for him. So I want to give him a chance just uh, to uh, sort of share, uh, you know, where you can follow him or where you can get information. I'm, I'm going to let him head off so he can uh, not be up until, you know, the sunrise. So, Corey, if you want to share with the guest, uh, with our listeners, um, where they can follow you and all that fun stuff. Yeah, thanks. I, I have to get up early for uh, for Demonshaft to watch that uh, that big match. Um, well, again, thank thank you so much, guys, for having me on. Uh, this has been great. It's been really exciting, and uh, it, it's been fun to watch your club uh, this season uh, to to call some of their games. This is a team that's certainly growing, and uh, and they can do some real damage. I know we mentioned on the broadcast that. I believe they're fifth uh, in the standings right now in the Western Conference, but their goal differential is the second best. And uh, they this looks like a team that has the potential to beat anyone. So uh, best of luck uh, on this exciting season. Um, as for me, if anyone wants to uh, check me out or follow me on Twitter, I'm at Corey E. Cohen, C-O-R-E-Y-E-C-O-H-E-N. Uh, feel free to uh, follow me, tweet me, anything um, always happy to, to hear from other USL fans such as myself and just general soccer fans. Uh, but again, thank you so much, guys, for having me on. Best of luck the rest of the season. Um, and uh, and hopefully I'll talk to you guys again uh, soon. Awesome. Thank you so much for thank joining so us. Much, Corey. Once, once again, listeners, that's Corey. You can uh, look for him or listen to him on upcoming match broadcasts for the USL. Thank you once again, Corey, for joining us and taking some time out of your evening, early morning. Uh, to speak uh, soccer with us. Absolutely. All right, so let's look ahead then now. We've talked a little bit about the past match, the wonderful, fun match that we had against Tulsa. Got a little break away from USL to talk World Cup. Now we're going to look forward to what's coming up for Orange County here in the next uh, next week or so. And uh, the next big match or the big thing coming up on Orange County schedule is actually a match away as they're going to look to um, try and continue their role against a team that they seem to always draw against, and um, that would be the Phoenix Rising FC. Uh, Dominic, uh, you're, you cover them on your podcast, Phoenix, that is. Uh, what are you looking forward to, or what are your thoughts uh, heading in as, um, or what's going on with Phoenix heading into this match against Orange County? Um, so the, probably the biggest thing that you guys should be aware of is that we come in on a four-match uh, shutout streak. And three of those matches have actually been since Phoenix Rising's coaching change. 
I don't know if you guys heard about that, but uh, Patrice Carterone was coaching Phoenix Rising since the middle of last season, led them to an outstanding record to finish the 2017 campaign, and had us at second place in the West. And then he received the offer for Al Ali, which is the top side in Egypt. Um, he has a lot of coaching experience in Africa. Uh, he's coached the Mali national team. He's coached uh, TP Mazembe to an African Champions League title. And the chance to coach a team that's perennially one of the top two or three clubs on the African continent, it was too good to pass up. So he leaves, and our interim coach Rick Shantz comes in. He's a local guy with a lot of Arizona soccer knowledge. But a lot of our questions about would the defense hold up have been answered because since he came in, three matches, three shutouts, and it's been the same starting 11 in each of those matches. So all you got to do is look at the Phoenix Rising starting lineup for any of those matches, uh, Las Vegas, Tulsa, or away to RGV, and that's probably what our starting 11 will be on Friday. Now, I, I know uh, before we started recording, um, we sort of discussed a little bit about uh, this weekend's matches and where does this Phoenix-Orange County match rank up against some of the other matches across the league. I myself feel like this is probably, if not the top, one of the top matches of the weekend, uh, just because for both teams, for Orange County and Phoenix, this seems to be a must-win. Like It looks like both of these teams, really for their positioning on the table, uh, in the standings, uh, you know, the full three points definitely uh, is is sort of a must. I know uh, just before we started recording tonight, uh, Real Monarchs came up victorious against Fresno. So that added a little bit of a gap between themselves and Phoenix. I think now we have a five-point gap between the two teams, if I'm correct, um, or if it hasn't been updated on this website that I'm looking at. Um, but I also think Real Monarchs have a game in hand. So that's definitely... Uh, a big gap. I don't know if Phoenix has any desire to really worry about catching up to Real Monarchs at this point, or if they're just more worried about sticking where they are in the standings. Uh, but uh, Orange County as well has just in this big old mixed jumble of teams that are sitting, you know, you know, eight or nine, uh, you know, or sorry, sorry, sitting from, you know, about position three in the, in the standings to position eight or nine in the standings uh, where they're separated by roughly eight points, I believe. Uh, the benefit for Orange County there too is they have some games in hand against some of those other teams. But I feel like this is probably the t the uh, match of the week. I don't know, uh, Dylan or um, Dominic, if you agree with me on that or if you have any other thoughts, but I think this is definitely an important match for both of these teams. Um, I guess I can take it first. Um, it's definitely one of the top matches of the week. There's no doubt about that. What I was most surprised with looking in uh, looking at some of the stats going into this show is Orange County is number two in the Western Conference in goals four after that six spot against Tulsa last week. And they have the best defense in the Western Conference. Um, and I'm sure you guys are very familiar with those numbers, but for someone like me, those were a little bit of a surprise because my what I always think of when I think of Orange County is like a tough, gritty, physical, defensive team but they sometimes have lapses, and maybe that's very biased because all our matches seem to be 1-1 draws, the occasional 0-0 draw in there, but that was the perception, and then to see all these goals, and then to see that uh, Enidvoldsen is tied for the league lead in goals, um, it definitely is a little eye-opening, because I think a lot of people out here like to think of our 
strongest competitors in the Western Conference as Real Monarchs, Swope Park because they beat us in the playoffs last year, Sacramento because we just played them twice in the last month, and because they're right behind us. Um, and then maybe we'll even think of like San Antonio because they're a team that came into the league around the same time, got good around the same time. And so Orange County isn't a team we think of as like a strong rival at the top of the West, and yet those numbers indicate that, you know, just if you look at the numbers, if you look at the goal difference, we're the top two teams on goal difference in the West, um, the top two offenses in the West. And so uh, looking at those numbers, I think this is the biggest game. And before I might have thought Colorado-San Antonio, because that's a big battle at the bottom of the standings for top eight. But the more I look at the numbers, and then you you go back and you see how tough these matchups have been, I would say this is the Western Conference match of the week. Yeah, I would say at least um, for Orange County, it's probably going to be one of the games of not just the not just the week because they do play a couple times this week, but probably of the season. Um, I think a strong performance, which for me would be at least scoring and either continuing this now four or five straight uh, record of draws with them or if it's something like a 2-1 or 3-2 win, um, that might shift something in the team's confidence to suggest that maybe they can take it to whoever they want. Um, they did it a couple of years ago, but it's the USL. There's, I think Chapel is the only remaining player um, from that season. So moving forward, I think this game is going to make a massive difference in the in the team's confidence and and what they think they can do week in week out. Well, to think about it too is in this match, if Orange County is able to pull up the three po- or get the full three points, that's going to pull them within two of Phoenix, and they're also going to have two games in hand on Phoenix. So definitely, um, you know, it, it's an, an important matchup because when you look at the standings, Orange County has played you know other than San Antonio and some of those teams down at the bottom that we're really not having to worry about at this point Orange County's only played 15 matches where some of these other teams including Phoenix Phoenix has played 17 some of the other teams have played 16 that are around them so that's a benefit for Orange County on this so getting a full three points in this match um is is definitely a big thing and then you look again for Phoenix uh trying to keep up with Real Monarchs which I don't know you know if anyone's going to be able to surpass them the way they're playing this season even with all the craziness going on uh with that franchise or with that club uh but the thing uh you know I know Dominic you mentioned the the goals for for Orange County it's definitely a bloated stat especially since we have the two matches against Tulsa where we've scored 11 uh, 11 goals in those matches if you take away those 11 goals that don't that brings us back down to more of a uh, a lower end uh you know what would we have there we'd have like 17 goals for um and 11 against the 11 against is probably a pretty realistic number it probably should be better um some of that has just been some really just bonehead plays by the defense especially over the last few weeks um, that we've talked about here on the podcast and even in this last matchup against Tulsa the one goal Tulsa scored probably should not have been scored it should have uh, been cleared by one of our defenders so uh, but I I, I definitely uh, think this is going to be a wonderful matchup for these two teams Uh, I don't um, I I know you said and I think Dylan has mentioned this uh, as well uh, it's been like this streak of like four draws between these two teams going back even to last season is what is it about orange county and and this is for either of you what is it about orange county and phoenix that just sort of always seems to end up in a draw is it just sort of 
luck of things or whatever the word would be on that? Or is there something that these two teams just see in each other that causes them to just sort of play evenly each match? Dom, if you want to take a stab at that. Yeah, I think it's I think it's definitely and you know, correct me if I'm completely out of line. Um Orange County is a mentally tough team. They are physical. I, I saw the match against San Antonio when you guys won at San Antonio, and it was kind of the same thing, just being phys- being physical, getting on their nerves, and taking advantage of the opportunities when they arise. I don't know what your style looks like against teams that you should beat because I tend not to watch those matches as much. I tend to watch the ones as a neutral where you're going up against another strong side in the Western Conference. And in those matches, I find that you guys are always holding your own because you're physical, you're willing to get on people's nerves, you're not going to back down on those 50-50 balls. And in the first match this season, uh, you know, Orange County, you guys absolutely killed us on aerial balls. Uh, You guys won most of the 50-50s in that match. And so we were holding on for dear life at the end, and that's a dangerous game to play when you guys have all the attacking talent you have. Um, But I think even going back to last year, these teams are both pretty resilient, and these teams are both pretty mentally strong. Um, and they just kind of feed off of each other. Uh, you know, if if uh, if Chaplo gets in there with a hard t- uh, challenge, then Amadou Dia or Duigi Mala is going to come in hard. Uh, these teams don't back down. And I think it brings out the best in each other, but also it brings out, like some stronger emotions than maybe you want to see. People pick up cards too quick. Um, in last year's second match in Orange County, uh, a lot of us were pretty were pretty ticked off that um, we picked up a red card so early in that match, and then you guys were able to rally. Um, it seems like in all of those matches, it's always a draw, and it's usually fans from both sides saying, darn, why did that thing have to happen against us? We were so close to getting that win. We were so close to breaking through. But then the other team just refuses to back down and they get that goal. I mean, um, you can see it with the Didier Drogba free kick at the end of last year in that one match. But then, you know, the last match of 2017, the first match of 2018, you guys getting equalizing goals in the last 10 minutes. Um, so it, it, these teams, I don't know what it is about these teams, but they just go back and forth. And even when it's the the nil nil, there was the match where uh, I think there was a goal mouth scramble, and we had two chances that hit the post and just would not go in right at the end. So I would say the number one thing is that both these teams try to set the physical tone, and it works against lesser opposition. But against each other, we're just gonna we're just gonna match each other's effort. You won't back down. So yeah. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. Um, I'm obviously not a, a Phoenix uh, Rising expert by any stretch of the imagination, but I feel like Orange County shows up to games that they expect to be difficult, um, perhaps a little bit more than um, games that they surmise would be a little bit easier. Sometimes I think they can get a bit complacent, like we did in the Open Cup this year. And it was you're preaching to the choir. Yeah, <laughs> it was. A, it was a little bit weirder because we played our first team. It wasn't even a second string of guys or a rotation or anything it was the same starting 11 that we played five days prior yeah so we went strange, full strength but... yeah <laughs> um, we were like half strength but yeah have that same feeling watching the last i missed 
the I missed two of the draws last year, the nil nil and the one one in August. Um, but I was there for the one where Drogba scored the like what ninety first minute free kick. As much as I hate that goal um, and hated everything about that game, really um, having Drogba taunt us in the counting line collision is probably one of the highlights of uh, my life, um, especially <laughs> as a as a sports fan. That was that was amazing. But I think it really comes down to to mentality, and I I think especially now that Orange County's getting a bit bigger than last season with uh, Josh and uh, Thomas Jewel Nielsen in the back. And, and who knows Walker if Cornelli will be around. Alex, <laughs> yeah. Um, there's these big guys, and then you, of course, have Aiden Quinn and Christian Duke who are just... Christian Duke is 5'9", so he's not a big dude, but he is everywhere throughout the pitch, and he's challenging every ball, trying to win it back. And I think it's going to come down really to see is it finally going to not be a draw I think it might be how well Phoenix tries to shut down Quinn and Duke more than any other thing no I definitely uh I I, I agree with you there and I think um the great thing with this and I, I I'll just say this right now if this ends up being another draw can we just call this an actual rivalry now between Phoenix and, and Orange County um Dom, are we going to have to look out for, for Drogba coming back? Um, I know he, he haunted Orange County last July, but I don't think he's played too much this season. Uh, is it something that we can expect, being a home match? Uh, no need to worry about that, because Didier Drogba is doing BBC's World Cup coverage in Russia. So he won't be back with us until late July at the earliest. So you guys catch a break there. I would not say that you guys have nothing to worry about, though, because... Uh, we do return a lot of the pieces of last year's team that had the best form in USL in the second half of the season. Guys like Carl Wazinski and Nett, um, Amadou Dia and Cody Wakasa on the wings. Uh, center back has been a bit of an experiment the first month or two, but we've really settled into two guys we can count on at center back. Uh, that would be Mike DeFont and Joe Farrell. Joe Farrell, formerly of the Rochester Rhinos, and DeFont... I believe was drafted by the Colorado Rapids, but never quite got that strong MLS experience, so he came to us. Um, other guys to look out for, Kavon Lambert, a uh, young defensive midfielder. He's actually gotten some caps with the Jamaican national team, and he is only 20 years old, so that's something to keep an eye out on. Jason Johnson, I don't know if you guys saw SportsCenter last weekend. He got the number two spot on the SportsCenter top 10 with that scissor kick goal against Tulsa, and... Other guys to keep in mind, too. Um, Chris Cortez, he has been very in or out of form, depending on the match. I think he's the big X factor to watch for in this match because with Didier Drogba out, we like to put him up at top. He's usually our one striker. Um, when he's in form, he can get some nice banger goals and he can get some good headers off of set pieces. When he is out of form, he will kind of muck up some chances that look pretty good and he doesn't have the greatest pace so whether he's in or out of form is going to be a huge determining factor but really the engine that drives this whole attack is Solomon Asante and if you guys are wondering who is Solomon Asante that's a fair question none of us knew who he was until this offseason when we signed him um, Solomon Asante is a Ghana born player he's gotten caps with the Ghana international team he played for TP Mazembe under coach Carterone 
and Coach Carterone's really the guy that recruited him here. There were a lot of rumors in the offseason. Would he come? Would he not? The signing was finally announced in late January, and he has lived up to the hype with, I want to say, six goals on the season now, and just about as many assists. And it's even the things he doesn't do to get on the score sheet that raise eyebrows that are so impressive. Solomon Asante, no offense to anyone in Orange County, but Solomon Asante will be the fastest player on the pitch on Saturday. Or on Friday, excuse me. Um, he has incredible dribbling skills, and he has a great knack of getting into space and just getting enough space to deliver awesome balls into the box. If Orange County can stop Solomon Asante, if they can pre prevent him from getting a goal or an assist, your chances of getting at least one point from this match are sky high. But if Solomon Asante gets involved, if he starts running past Chaplo and the Orange County big guys in the defense, uh, you guys could be in for a three or four spot against you. I don't really see a three or four spot happening, but I'm just saying Solomon Asante is the kind of guy that can make it happen. And he has scored a couple goals himself from out of the box, so he is just an all-around threat. He is our MVP of the season, um, even ahead of Carl Wazinski, who has had a fine season in goal. So basically you're saying what we really have to do is stop Asante uh, from doing anything on the pitch or maybe, I mean, I'm not promoting this, but take him out of the game somehow. I'm not saying injure him, but just sort of, you know, use our physicality, fire. take him out of the out of the match, and we should be able to at least get a point out of it. Then is that what you're saying, Dominic? I think that's a big part of the puzzle. I mean, there are enough options with this squad. I mean, Billy Forbes can come off the bench. Alessandro Rigi can come off the bench for some pace. Uh, you can always get Joe Farrell on a on a corner kick with a good header. There are other options, and of course, Jason Johnson. But stopping Solomon Asante is probably the most important thing that you can do if you want to get anything from this match. Because in matches where Solomon Asante is able to find his rhythm, even if it doesn't result in goals, he's setting other guys up, he is leaving his stamp on the match, and that leads to a whole a lot of trouble for opposition. All right, so I will make sure I send out a link with a timestamp of when all of our Orange County players should be listening to this podcast so they can figure out exactly what to do to try and stop Phoenix uh, this Friday as we travel out there. Um, and one, we one small <laughs> hint, too, and I this is a play on words. He will also be the smallest man on the pitch. He is, I think, five foot two. Oh my God! <laughs> I think so some there's... of the referees that we had last week were. Yeah, there there were some short hard. referees out there, but um, yeah. But he's uh... he's been on like he's been on like four or five USL teams of the week, and I think I think like three USL teams of the week and two honorable mentions. So he is not. This is not anything new for us. He is just regularly an absolute stud out there. Uh, he's kind of the N'Golo Conte if N'Golo Conte was more attacking. So nice. All right, so um, so we've got a little bit of information there for the match. Um, thank you so much for sharing that, Dominic. Now I just want to get to the portion of this uh, match preview where we're going to pick the winner. Um, so the way this normally works, Dominic, just so you know, is we pick a winner and we pick who's going to be the MVP of the match. You don't have to tell us who's going to score each and every goal um, or anything like that. Just sort of give me a name or maybe two names of the standout players on the match uh, along with who's going to win the match. So Dylan, let's go ahead and start off with you. What are your thoughts, uh, final score and, and player of the match? Um, 
I'm going to throw out a 3-2 win. I think we finally have enough um, attacking quality to see off Phoenix. Um, and I know that, Dom, you might have to help me with this pronunciation, but Wazinski? Yes. If that's right. Okay. Wow, I was actually right. Um, I know he's been having a good season, but I think we might have enough to, to put a couple past him this time instead of just one. Um, I'm going to give another one to Enavoldson because he's in amazing form right now. And I'm going to give one to Seton. Um, they've been linking up really well the last two, three matches. And so I think they'll be uh, enough to see off uh, Phoenix. All right, what about you, Dominic? What is your prediction for the match? Uh, my head says a 1-1 draw because we've struggled pretty significantly against teams that are real contenders in the Western Conference this year. Uh, the highest team in the table that we've beaten is Reno. Um, but my heart says that this is going to be the week that we break through. We are going to get a 2-1 win, and it's going to be Jason Johnson making an impact. He's going to be my man of the match. If it ends up being a draw or an Orange County win, I think Andre Rawls will have the biggest role in that because I think he's going to have to come up with some monster saves. Uh, in last Saturday's nil-nil draw at RGV, um, it took a USL man of the, uh, you know, USL team of the week performance from the RGV keeper to save six shots that were on target and probably three or four high quality chances. That's the kind of performance it's going to take to shut us out because if we get shut out, we usually don't do it quietly. So if it is something positive for you guys, I think Rawls will be the key guy there. And if, if we get a win, I think Jason Johnson's going to have to do with it. So I'm going to go 2-1 to us. So you're going 2-1 to Phoenix? Yes. Awesome. So I'm going to have to agree as far as the victor with Dylan on this. Um, I'm going, though, with a 1-0 shutout for Orange County. Uh, like you said, Dominic, if that's going to happen, if, if Orange County is going to be able to come out victorious, we're going to have to have a big match from Andre Rolls, and I see him coming out and having one of his uh, best performances of the season, um, helping lead Orange County to a victory with a clean sheet. Uh, I also see game four now for Hoyveld uh, with Orange County. Um, he's gotten better each and every match, uh, and I just see the continued improvement with him. Uh, as far as the score for us, I'm going to have to go ahead and go with Thomas Innovolton as the goal scorer for Orange County on this match, uh, and that being a 1-0 victory. Uh, so we all picked a victory, two for Orange County, one for Phoenix. So lo and behold, it's probably going to be a draw like it always is with these matches between Phoenix and Orange County. It's just, I mean, we just did the the whole, you know, hoodoo voodoo stuff on this matchup by trying to pick winners. I mean, if both teams just want to play for one point, could we just um, skip the 90 minutes running around in the desert for no reason? In 105 degree weather or whatever? Just agree on taking one, one point each? It'll, it'll be better for everyone, I think. I mean, you guys need to win more than, than we do, but I think, I mean, what what's the big deal? We do that every day. Hey, we got two that's, games in hand, so hey, really the hey, win isn't a big thing. That's why, that's why this match, that's why with my heart, I think this is finally going to be the time we win, because last year we played twice in the summer, and both times it was in, oh, windswept Orange County, 75 degrees of kickoff. Oh, isn't that pleasant in June and July? And now... You have to come here at the end of June and in the beginning of August, twice in the next six weeks, in the dead of summer. That's going to be the difference this time. 
right. Ooh, he's, you. Look, he's calling us out on that. that I love he, it. He doesn't like our cold, our, our, our nice, brisk 75-degree kickoff temperatures here in Orange County. I grew up in SoCal. I'm just saying that's the X factor because it, it worked out nice for you guys last year. I think the one road trip was at the end of September and it was below 90 at kickoff. So just saying. Well, no, think, hey, uh, it, if you want to come back, we'll, we'll welcome you back. <laughs> you, can, you can join the pod. I was, I was there for the opening match this year. It was a great night. You guys, you guys had a pretty good, uh, uh, turnout, uh, with that opening match. I mean, I, uh, I took my soccer, uh, my boy soccer team to the match, and and you guys were out there, and and you have some supporter groups that are pretty loud for the whole match. So that's actually a pretty neat thing to see, um, on there. So, uh, for any Orange County fans that want to try and um, return the favor to Phoenix, head out there on Friday. Uh, I know Friday's not the. I, I don't. What's a Friday match? I, I don't get why if it's going to be a weekend match, why they'd put it on a Friday, especially on a match where. Uh, there's a possibility that fans can travel. I mean, Phoenix isn't the closest place, but it's not like traveling to St. Louis or, or whatnot. It's something where I know uh, the County Line Coalition tries to see if they can get to some of these matches. So, uh, But it is what it is. It's a Friday match, and hopefully everything works out. And uh, and uh, it'll, be a f- it'll be a fun match. That's all. I mean, I could definitely say it's going to be a good competitive match. Definitely. Uh, if, it's, if it's a... If it's a lopsided match that i would just be shocked one one other thing that's filed under x factors that might go in our favor friday is a one dollar beer night out here and our record on one dollar beer nights i believe we have three wins no draws no losses and they've all been matches where we've put some goals in all i I gotta say is what is a one (laughs) dollar beer night because we don't experience those here in uh, orange county hey you gotta stay cool somehow right (laughs) <laughs> I don't know if that's the way to do it, but all right. <laughs> all right, so we've got the prediction there. We've got the preview of that match. There's one other match that Orange County will be playing before our next episode that we release of this podcast, and that's going to be, I believe, on Tuesday night, uh, this upcoming or this next Tuesday night. Uh, they're going to be traveling to Colorado to play, uh, play Colorado Springs. or Is that, is that Colorado Springs? Yeah, Colorado whatever Springs they're. Switchbacks FC. FC. I I I, I I still don't get how what this whole let's do the Americanized version of naming a team plus the traditional way of naming a soccer team. I mean, you don't have to throw an FC and SC onto everything, do we? Uh, no offense to Phoenix Rising, um, but uh, it's it's just weird. Like some of these names are like five, six, seven words long. I, I think um, so. But no, so Orange County will be traveling out to Colorado Springs. A lot can happen between now and then um, in the standings, depending on how things go in Phoenix on Friday. Um, also, depending on how Colorado Springs uh, performs this weekend, I believe they are facing San Antonio, which I think Dominic's mentioned is one of the big, bigger matches of the weekend for positioning in the standings. Um, but uh, when I was looking at everything, it looks like you know if Phoenix comes out victorious on Friday, Colorado Springs is able to beat uh, San Antonio on, I believe, Saturday. I don't know the date off the top of my head. Uh, but we could go into that match against Colorado Springs being separated by one point uh, and definitely affecting positioning. Um, I know Orange County faced Colorado Springs uh, in Orange County earlier in the season, and they were able to come out victorious, although it wasn't the prettiest of matches I believe Orange County won, correct, Dylan? I'm trying to remember. Uh, yes, they did. I believe it was it was like two one or something like that. Two one or one nil. 
something like that. But it wasn't the prettiest of matches. Uh, I remember that uh, definitely. So uh, this is going to be a decently big match. We don't know much going on, but um, I don't know, Dominic, have, what have you seen out of Colorado Springs? Or can you share any information that you've seen on them um, this season that uh, maybe we should know about? Um, I can't really give too much of an expert opinion there. They're just, they just a, they're just a typical, you know, win one, lose one kind of team, just middle of the pack, very inconsistent. You'd think they'd have a bigger home field, uh, playing up in altitude. And yet it doesn't really seem to work out that way. Uh, one week they'll have an impressive home win, but then the next they'll, um, fall behind two nil to like, you know, some team that they really should be beating. And I think you guys are very familiar with their form last year because you guys were kind of battling, trying to scrape into that eighth seed with them uh, last season. So um, it's kind of been more of the same for Colorado Springs. I mean, you guys have taken the next step and they haven't quite. So it is a really tricky midweek match, though. And that's the thing that might give some pause. Uh, Orange County will have one extra day to prepare for that. It just it just feels like as a neutral, like one of those typical midweek draws. Yeah, and no, I hope I could see. Yeah, like and, and even like a lot of guys are kind of tired, and it's I don't see a lot of goals in that match. Now, definitely could see that being the outcome a draw uh, between these two clubs, which you know, as the traveling team. Um, on a midweek game, you would be happy to walk away with one point in a match like that, um, come back home and prepare for the next match. Uh, the scary part, like you said, is the inconsistency there in Colorado Springs. Uh, and uh, which team are you going to be getting when you go to face them and travel up there on a Tuesday night? Um, and what that potentially um, can mean to the standings. Because like I said, there is a potential that that match could flip the standings and Colorado Springs could uh, jump ahead of Orange County, depending on how things go. Now, again, Orange County will still have those games in hand, which is a nice thing to have in your back pocket. But, um, you know, it's just something to be worried about. I mean, just just in their last five matches, they have a 3-0 win against St. Louis. They have a 4-1 loss to Las Vegas Lights and a 4-1 win against Timbers 2. That is the definition of inconsistency. So what on earth are you going to (laughs) expect? No, definitely, definitely. I think that Orange County has enough depth, even coming off of a, a Friday, Tuesday, um, in in midfield, which is where I think that difference is going to be made. Um, and and even in the defense, we still have uh, Walker Hume if Duel Nielsen if, if and he shows up or if he gets a chance Kernel to play. play. Yeah, because Hume's um, been but, missing for the last few matches. I don't know why. Um, it might just be getting. Uh, his legs like he said he's trying to get back into that kind of fitness that match fitness um but i think orange county probably has enough to see um colorado springs off especially as inconsistent as they've been um when you have a team that's just all around better um and has been able to grind out these results i think shouldn't be too much of an issue all right so dylan you're calling uh that match a victory for orange county as well yeah, I, w- I would say. Um, I believe in them, so hopefully they'll let me down because then I'll be <laughs> sitting here eating my words and I'll I'll never feel like doing this again. <laughs> and then I think, uh, Dominic, just hearing from you when you were speaking, you see this more as probably that midweek draw between two teams on a Tuesday night. 
yeah, it's just it's a tough one to call right now because you know both Orange County and Colorado Springs are going to have tricky weekend matches that will take a lot of energy out, and then they come back on Tuesday, so that's a very quick turnaround. Yeah. Um, you know, it, I would I would I would lean towards a draw, but if I had to choose one team that's more likely to win, I would think OC is the more likely team to win. But if they do get a win, it would be like a one nil. Yeah, I, I I sort of agree with you on Dominic. It just it's this match just screams a draw. Um, whether that's a scoreless draw, one one draw, two two draw, uh, I just I I don't see. Um, and, and as an Orange County fan, I'm happy with a one point uh, midweek match uh, in Colorado. Um, yeah, heading home. Away, that would be a good. Yeah, because I mean they're playing away in Phoenix and then heading to Colorado for an away match. I mean, a one win uh, a one point there potentially the three points in Phoenix. I mean, I'll take four points in those two matches um, any, any, any time. So I, I, I'm going to probably say that probably ends up being a draw. Um, and, uh, you know, we'll see, we'll see how things turn out, but it's tough to make a prediction. Like you said, Dominic, cause it's, there's so many factors that are going to happen between now and then with these big matches this weekend um, and what happens. So I'm not going to ask anyone to give me an exact score or an MVP because that's just uh, difficult to deal with on there. All right, so really quick before we end this podcast, it ended up being a, a nice lengthy podcast here. We just had a lot of great information. Our guests have uh, definitely filled in uh, or have provided us a lot of insight. You know, Dominic from um, the Rising is One podcast has definitely shed a lot of information, not just on Phoenix, but on, um, you know, USL knowledge. So I appreciate that, Dominic. And Corey on earlier just sort of shedding some of his, of his information from what he saw at the match against Tulsa. Uh, for here, but let's just go over some of the other big headlines that have been happening here in the USL over the last week or so. Uh, we'll start off with Orange County news, as it was uh, announced yesterday by the club that uh, Orange County and Nancil Selbel have agreed to part ways. Um, no real re- rhyme or reason has been at least officially announced by the club on that, uh, but it means uh, one less you know player that we've seen out on the pitch for Orange County. Uh, he won't be back in that uniform. And he was one of those uh, signees at the beginning of the season that was sort of uh, seen as a decent signing for the club. So it's definitely a, um, a surprise or a shock to see that uh, this is happening. What are your thoughts, Dylan? Um, I'm not too heartbroken by the idea that he's he's not playing. I think that um, he's played eight matches this season. He's got one goal. Um it's going to be hard for him to get time in front of Seton and um, and of Oldson. And if he's looking to play wide, and I don't think he's naturally a, a wide player, so it'll be hard for him to get game time in front of Godoy. Um, it probably works best for both parties in this situation. We've got a really strong front line and, um, and a really tall one at that. So I don't know if his, his height is just something that the team's shaking up how they are setting up moving forward and they just think he's surplus to to what's needed and want to as opposed to just paying his his wages and and running out his contract with little playing time um you know might just be a better move for for both parties and hopefully he finds a, a club and he gets some playing time but i mean it's a weird situation and with so little information given it, it's hard to to really give a, a concrete reason. Um, I don't think that his position was untenable, but he might just personally want to be playing more, especially he's, I think he's, he's 21. So it's a, it's a good time to be getting some matches as opposed to sitting on a bench. 
No, definitely. Um, and like like you said, it was just sort of it's hard without the the concrete information. Know exactly what's happening here, uh, but. Yeah, uh, you know, it seems like uh, Seton and Godoy have sort of moved up in their uh, roles with the club. They were primarily these, like, super subs off the bench early in the season. Now they seem to be getting um, put into the starting lineups a lot more often here as we move to the middle part of the season, and I'm sure that'll continue as we head on to the final uh, stretch of the season. So probably definitely just, you know, it, it, his reduction in playing time was seen as, you know, let's give him an opportunity to maybe look elsewhere for that playing time that he might be looking for. Just, just one thought here. Um, I'm sorry that it didn't work out with him for you guys after scoring nine goals and 31 appearances with Swope last season. But um, just since I mentioned conspiracy theories earlier, the fact this is being announced in late June, the fact that he is from Nigeria and grew up there. And the fact that most of the world is on that August through May calendar I wouldn't be surprised if he has an offer in the next couple of weeks internationally and maybe in a league that plays that August through May calendar. It, that might make sense for why the news just came out now. No, definitely. Uh, definitely could be a chance. Um, like Dylan was saying, he's a younger player, so I don't see this being the end of his soccer career. He probably um, just, you know, it, it. and because of the way it's it's worded, I mean, it seems like it's a very generic wording, but it was worded as both have mutually agreed for this uh you know, splitting up here. So um, it could very well be that the team's giving him his opportunity. He's looking to go to maybe a different league with a, uh, a little bit more opportunity and that the timing just sort of works out for that. Um, so best of wishes, best of luck to Selbo and his future, uh, whatever, you know, wherever he ends up. Uh, he definitely uh, was out there when he was on the pitch for Orange County. He may not have had his most successful run of soccer, but he was out there, you know, at least trying um to to get some goals in the net throughout the the his time with Orange County. So um, another thing we noticed is after that uh, that beating that Tulsa took against Orange County, they made a change uh, in their coaching staff. So um, Tulsa, their coach, I believe, I, I probably will butcher the last name. I don't know if either of you know how to say uh, their former coach's last name, um, David uh, Vaudriel. I don't I don't know if that's correct. But uh, Tulsa replaced their coach and um, can probably thank Orange County and uh, some of the other teams that have definitely had strong matches against Tulsa um, for this. I don't know anything about um, their old coach. I don't know much about their new coach other though other than I was seeing on Twitter uh, from, uh, I believe, uh, retweets or tweets from the Tornado Alley Soccer podcast that uh, this new guy, Michael... Um, I don't know how to say his name either, uh, but that he's I would sort go of with a, Michael Insine. Something like that, right? Um, that he's sort of a, a, you know, a big part of soccer in Tulsa. So maybe that will definitely be a, a positive turn and maybe he will help uh, help avoid or help Tulsa avoid the um, zero win season, which no team ever wants to go through. So I don't know if, if you guys have any thoughts on that, uh, uh, you know, on that change. I don't think that anyone could really argue that um, his position was untenable. Having not won yet is, is pretty massive. Um, and I can see that the club wants to keep uh, maybe save some face here and and keep some relevance in the USL and maybe 
you know, in the second half of the season, grind out some three-point performances and, and maybe even make, depending on how well this goes for them, maybe make a late run for the playoffs. Um, when when a manager does so poorly it, and as a team shows as poorly as they did, um, I don't think that a team can just go and, and fire every player that they have, and they probably have a, a bit longer term future for some of those guys on contracts um that you know it it may just be that at this point the players didn't believe um in what was coming from above so i mean whether the board makes that decision or if it's uh team captains going to club president and saying hey we don't we don't believe in this we need to change um it's not super surprising and yeah, I mean, it. all I can say is uh, the fall was quick for uh, Valdrul. Last season, he led them to the playoffs. It was a pretty stunning uh, bounce-back year, and he was actually one of the finalists for USL Coach of the Season. Um, controversially, in our eyes, over Patrice Carterone, who uh, led Phoenix Rising to the best form in the league um, in that second half of the season. But um, in any case, he did a great job with the squad last year, but kind of put in a tough position this offseason when five of their starters from last season, including Juan Pablo Caffa, um, left for greener pastures. And so I think a lot of people in the know kind of saw this as a down year for Tulsa. Um, I don't think anyone could have expected it to be this down of a year, but uh, you got to make do with the pieces you have, and he hasn't done enough, apparently. Um you know, I'm not shedding any tears though because the one, the one interview I did see of him was after the match where we won five-one out in Tulsa, and he made it sound like, you know, I thought we were the better of the two sides up until the last 20 minutes or so, um, when you know I guess Phoenix just got the better of us, and I don't know what match he was watching because it wasn't always a blowout. It was actually one-one for. Um, up until the last 30 minutes, but I I don't know how you could argue that they were playing better than us and creating more chances prior to those goals at the end. So um, seems like a nice guy. I don't I don't know how much of a of a football mind he has, but hopefully he'll have another opportunity, and uh, hopefully Tulsa can get a win or two at least. Oh yeah, you know, it's one of those you know you need to jump start it somehow. I mean. In some instances when this happens in all sports, you can't always you say it's the coach's fault. Sometimes it is the player's fault. Um, but sometimes the coach has to take the blame for it. I don't know much about about the former coach. You, I mean, you shed some light on, on an interview heard where it just seems a little weird or a little interesting there. Um, but, I mean, something had to change, and it's easier to change the coach than it is to change you know a full roster midseason. So maybe this new coach coming in will help jumpstart you know, some victories and – um, like I said, help them avoid going through a full season with no victories and, and no win, you know, no wins, no victories, whatever you want to call it. Uh, and maybe, just maybe, you know, Tulsa fans, fingers crossed, maybe this is the start of a late season push and run to try and creep up into the playoffs. Uh, I, I know that's a long shot, but you never know, especially in the USL. All right, and then um, one last thing to talk about here before we uh, call it uh, an end to this podcast, and we have to bring it up, uh, and I, I thank uh, Dominic for sort of uh, reminding me of this because I sort of forgot it when I was planning out what we're going to talk about today, and this is the 
wonderful, I guess you could call it, penalty kick attempt that happened over the weekend. Las Vegas um, with a chance to tie the match against Swope Park um, had a penalty Which kick. would have helped both of our teams. Definitely, yes, because I think it helped Swope Park jump ahead of us in the standings. Um, and, yeah, great. Uh, but I, for those of you that didn't see it, uh, I... I will try and explain it as best as I can, but for whatever reason, Las Vegas decided instead of taking a direct penalty, I believe it was an extra time, correct? Yes, this was the last play of the match. This is the Literally. fourth minute of added t- time in four minutes of added time. And uh, Carlos Alvarez was the man on the ball, and he, instead of taking the penalty, he tried to lay it off to his teammate, Sammy Ochoa. Kind of like the Suarez or Messi to Suarez one from a couple years ago with Barcelona, except Ochoa bangs it off the post and it gets cleared and the match ends. End of the match and Swope Park holds on in what they probably should have. I guess they should feel like this was the luckiest day of the season for them because uh, Las Vegas decided let's try and be tricky. And, and we were all joking before we started recording the podcast that there, you know, there's something about Las Vegas where they they just decide they don't want to do things the conventional way, whether it's you know putting those smiley faces on, on the inside of their jerseys to utilize for their celebrations, or one of their you know their goalie deciding to dribble the ball up the field, or this interesting choice uh, late in a match. Is 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 this just Las Vegas trying to? create their own like style or personality or what what's going on with this what was what would what would make someone think that this is the right type of uh, the right time of a match to try and pull something like that off what do you think it just seems like <laughs> this just seems like answer. part of their circus honestly um afterwards their their head coach um sanchez better known as chalice uh was quoted saying you know um i'm actually proud of them for attempting this maneuver um i've shot this penalty in my life i've had my players shoot this before this is the first time it hasn't worked out um he said his players were brave and so he just completely instigates this whole this whole culture of just whatever goes goes it's kind of like the uh the old school raiders without the winning um so i you know, you talk about coaches getting canned. I don't understand why he hasn't been canned yet because he's already been suspended twice now for inappropriate behavior on the sidelines. First for getting up into an official, and then uh, he received another four-match suspension uh, from an incident after the match in Phoenix where a fan yelled something at him, and uh, he threatened the fan. So there just seems to be no accountability going on there, and it seems like they need someone to come in with a little bit of discipline, but it is, it is part of their brand. They're just trying to do all the crazy things. Yeah. It's um, yeah. It's, it's just weird what they're doing in Vegas. I mean, what else have they been doing? They, they've had DJs in the locker room. They've uh, brought they a have... llama out to the match. <laughs> they have the smiley face inside of the Jersey. They have a, uh, uh, Elvis mascot riding a motorcycle. They have it's, a sponsorship with a marijuana dispensary that actually has a shuttle that goes to the match from the dispensary. It just seems like they're just trying to shout, you know, we are Vegas and we're going to do whatever the 
you know, bleep we want to do it. Who cares if it's what we should be doing or whatnot. It just seems like they're trying every random marketing tool to use to try and promote this team. Um, and it, I guess it's working because it gets people talking about their team that probably wouldn't really talk. I mean, like us here, I wouldn't normally be talking about Las Vegas or spending five minutes talking about Vegas on an Orange County podcast, but we're doing that because Vegas is crazy. Crazy enough to uh, to not need those happy faces on the inside of their jerseys with a 94th minute penalty. I don't know how <laughs> else to sum that up. It's just, I, just go for a conventional penalty. Yeah, I it, mean, it's... They're so favored in in the striker's favor that I just I don't. I mean, I know you referred to them before we started recording Dom as a as a meme team, and that is the only way that I could sum it up. <laughs> it's... All we needed was Freddie Adu getting on the end of that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's 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 um it's crazy that they attempted it. It's crazy. It the the awesome part is it didn't work, so it just lets all all of the non-vegas fans i guess sort of laugh at it or just sort of i don't know it it's it's just random i will just say this i'm glad that um orange county doesn't attempt these crazy maneuvers and these crazy gimmicks um you know i i i'm i'm a traditionalist when it comes to to soccer and sports in general i i like what you see traditionally you know fan you know a supporter section at a soccer match is awesome um little you know uh, marketing things like giving away towels or blankets or, you know, having a bounce house out for the kids out in the open grass area. Awesome. I'll take that. But all this weird craziness that Vegas is attempting to do and, and utilizing, I, I, it's just, it's not, I guess it's just not for me as a fan. So. All right, yeah, it's so. something. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So I think we'll end it there. Cause you know, let's just end it on Vegas. Right. Um, a couple of things before we end it, though, uh, you know, that I just want to throw out there. Uh, congrats, Thomas Enavoldson. He's tied for the league lead in goals with nine. Um, Andre Rawls, I believe, is tied for the league lead in shutouts, or if not, if these stats aren't for the league, at least for the West Coast or the Western Conference. Um, congrats to Aiden Quinn, Team of the Week, uh, 11, for his great performance against um, Tulsa. And um, with that said, I think we'll... Uh, call it an uh, uh, episode here. I want to thank uh, Dylan as always for joining us each and every week. And also our guest Dominic from the rising is one podcast. Again, they are a podcast that covers uh, Phoenix rising FC. I, I think you guys cover a little bit of other uh, soccer related stuff as well out in the Arizona area. Correct. Dominic. Yeah, that's, that's through Phoenix rising. Um, well, our podcast at rising pod on Twitter, the rising is one podcast is about Phoenix rising um, our sister website, Firebird Soccer, uh, you can find them on Twitter pretty easily, at Firebird Soccer. They cover Phoenix Rising, but they also cover uh, some of the local teams in Arizona, um, Sporting Arizona and UPSL and uh, FC Arizona and a couple other teams. So that gives you more of the broader perspective of soccer in the state. Perfect. Well, I, I want to thank you once again for taking time out of your evening here uh, to join us and, and record this episode with us. Um, it definitely went a little bit longer than I was planning, but the conversation was going so well, I didn't want to cut cut it too short and try and fill it, uh, make it feel rushed. So I want to thank you for uh, hanging in with us for the recording here. And uh, 
Uh, is there any other um, information you want to share with our guests? I know you shared a little bit about the uh, podcast and the the Twitter and stuff like that. Is there any other uh, links or websites or or anything that our guests or our listeners should be uh, aware of? I think that's most of it. Uh, just the podcast again is at Rising Pod on Twitter. Uh, you can also find it on iTunes, on Stitcher, and on Google Play. And if you're interested in the other two masterminds behind the show, that would be uh, Jeff Went. You can see him. If you just go to our Twitter page, it'll have his, um, you know, his link, and also Kyle Mackey's. So you can follow them both on Twitter as well. They are integral parts to our success. So I think that's it. Awesome. And, and remember, another option or another way you can listen to the podcast is on uh, the Beautiful Game Network, bgn.fm. You can also find the Orange and Black Soccer Cast there, along with many other podcasts. Uh, you can also find, uh, remember, you can find the Orange and Black Soccer Cast on our website, orangeandblacksoccercast.com. Follow us on Twitter at OCSC underscore SoccerCast, on Facebook at the Orange and Black Soccer Cast. And um, yeah, that's pretty much it. I, again, thank you, um, Dominic, for joining us. And once again, I want to thank Corey. Uh, for joining us earlier in the podcast to, to um, talk about the match against Tulsa and a little bit of World Cup talk there. Dylan, as always, thank you for joining us. And uh, with that said, uh, this is Ray Samora signing off. Podcasts are a great way for your business to advertise to target audiences. And the Orange and Black Soccer Cast is looking for advertisers like you. If you're interested in advertising your business on our podcast, please email us at info at orangeandblacksoccercast.com. The Orange and Black Soccer Cast has joined forces with many other soccer podcasts, many of them focusing on the USL. We're now part of the Beautiful Game Network, bgn.fm.